Looking at the best things to do in London and beyond? From food to fitness, bars to going out, this is the AT, the About Time Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the AT Show. Hi guys. I don't know what episode we're on right now. I think we're on five, episode five. Oh, we're on episode five. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. Um, and on episode five, Giles, what are we talking about today? Millennial life. <laughs> Not really sure what that means. We're talking about all things millennial. I really hate the word millennial. Do you? Why? Yeah, it just, it makes me feel like a bit of a marketing thing. <laughs> it makes me feel like a segment. Yeah. A demographic. And I feel like we've just taken a lot of shit in the media. Like, it's oh, true. Millennial. Yeah, classic millennial behaviour. Uh, millennials, what they're like. Men. What does being millennial mean to you, Alicia? Avocados. <laughs> really? That's no. what you think. Well, there was that there was that news story, wasn't there? That we spent that if we stopped spending all that money on avocados and toast and sandwiches, that we'd be able to afford a house. Yeah, that's deposit. the reason we can't get on the property market. Yeah. But what I find interesting about that story is that, like, who's buying sandwiches? Everyone's fucking gluten-free when you're millennial. <laughs> like, come on, do something better. Yeah. Like, what we're buying is cheer pudding. Yeah. Get also, it right. wraps. Yeah. Love a wrap. People about wrap over a sandwich any day. Nobody eats sandwiches. Nobody no. of my age eats a sandwich. Or what, yeah, Unless sandwich. it's more like Giving a dark a rye. Dal, if anything. A dark rye. Yeah, they may be eating a Scandi-inspired open yeah. rye sandwich. Ah. That's what the article should have said. Yeah. They're buying, they're getting Smallsburgs. Is that what it's called? Smallsboards? You know my pronunciation yeah. is not. Something on those points. But you know, I agree. I, I think we've, we... All people think we do is eat brunch, which is not wrong. <laughs> I think there is a thing with millennials, though, that um, because house prices are so high and it's very difficult to get on the property ladder, we sort of got very um, just like quite flimsy with what we buy and we just kind of buy anything and don't really have this like idea of savings. Like, don't you think people like, yes. if you, I think if you come up with a, a sort of strange concept for millennials, they'll buy into it. Absolutely. Quite Although my friend, pray. my friend did say that she had an ISA the other day. Oh, that was big. That's not very millennial. No, I was like, woof. A cash ISA. But no, I, I do agree. And I think that we are, because we realise that potentially, we, you know, it's going to take us a long time to get on the property ladder, that we want experiences. Mm. Would rather have experiences and memories and, you know, holidays. Cash and... rich, savings poor, basically. Yes. Yeah. That's why, that's why I think. That's why everyone spends so much money on cocktails. Shortage there you house. Go. Went to Shortage House the other weekend. Round of drinks, a hundred quid. What are they doing to them? <laughs> I don't know. What are they doing? To... But they're like, go... oh, you get free pick and mix. It's fine. That's the thing with Shortage House. It's like, oh, we're so exclusive, but here, have a pick and mix. Like, I don't, like, they're trying to be like really cool, cool, but. I we're so far from making sure it's not I don't want people. a fizzy snake. <laughs> no, we're, like, we're really not. I think something that's very millennial is Instagram and social. Like, never has there been a time when people have shared quite as much as now. Yes, Like, I nobody agree. eats anything without putting it online. I everyone am guilty of this. Everyone knows what everyone else wears. Why did... Um, why did picture, why did taking pictures of food get so big? I, I mean, it, I'm guilty. I, I yeah. do it all the time, but I don't know why. It's a status thing. I think it's a status thing. You're like, oh, I've got friends and I'm out for brunch with those friends. Like, look at my brunch dish. Yeah. you're not eating brunch alone. No, look at my runny yolk. <laughs> egg porn. Egg porn oh, became a huge thing. Fucking hate that hashtag. What? Hashtag egg porn. Yeah. It's weird. Makes me we all know what a runny yolk is. I don't like eggs, so it just makes me, I just don't want to see your yolks. Put but, your yolks away, people. But you know what I don't get is when 
restaurants or, you know, like this Instagram worthy dessert. I don't give a shit if this dessert looks good with a filter. I just want it to be tasty. Mm. But it's true. Our generation goes Instagram first, taste second. Like the way in which we book restaurants and like order dishes is Mm. based on what they look like. Like not what they taste like. Nobody really cares. I mean, even when we had our guest last week, Vicky's Donuts, she said, I create donuts that are really, really Instagrammable and happen to taste good as well. Like that was the second thought. The first thought was, do they look good online? Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I think Instagram consultancy is going to be like the next big thing. Do you think Instagram's a flash in the pan? No, I think that, I think it will change, but I think the idea of taking photos of things and putting them online is not going anywhere. Do you remember a time when menu stalking was a big thing? What, just like looking at menus online? Now you, now you go on, I'd go on yeah. the restaurant's Instagram or like the geotag. Yeah, and then you'd see what I'm guilty of doing that whilst I'm in the restaurant like I'll have the menu in front of me and be like oh I don't know between like the french toast or the like birch muesli and I'll go on the geotag for the restaurant see people that have had both dishes and then base myself like base it on that <laughs> such a millennial <laughs> so millennial it's all just very disposable I think that's a big thing with millennials like everything now contactless payments apps monzo Ooh. Changed my life. Do you know what I love? Laundry app. You know, the one that collects your laundry and delivers it back. The oh, day. collects your laundry and goes to the laundry at like 20 minutes down the road. Yeah, no, not even. We have it at the end of our road. I basically pay them to drop it off and collect it for me. It's just around the corner. It's double the price. But, but it's the ease. It's the ease. Do you think millennials want ease? Yeah. What I'm obsessed with at the moment is farm drop. I used it on Sunday. So it's a bit like a cardo, but all the stuff is from farms in the UK. <laughs> and it's so great because all the produce tastes amazing. It's basically the same. No, I had a really good scotch egg from great there. Great produce it's basically the same price and you find these cool like niche brands so in the fridge at the moment i've got smoked hummus local like well local-ish cheddar i'm I'm loving farm drop you know what as well i think going back to the apps and and getting things to your home is um nails well like oh on on demand beauty on demand Mm. beauty yeah a a lady came around to do my nails the other day and i was just sat in my kitchen although funny story with that i had a uh, on-demand massage so i used one i'm not gonna say who because i don't want to slight them on on the potty but uh, i used one of those services where you get a massage and the guy came over gave me a massage absolutely lovely and then at the end he was saying oh you know i do this kind of freelance and um if you like if you don't book via the app but you just contact me freelance i'll give you my number then it's cheaper he said, but you have to buy the massage bed. It was like, at this point, I was like, this is getting a bit weird. Like, it felt a little bit uncomfortable. I was like, we'll go with. And then, honestly, I didn't speak to him for like months, Egyptian guy. And then he just starts sending me links to massage beds <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> just no, no, no text, just links on Amazon to massage beds. It was like, well, it's a subtle hint, isn't it? Fuzzy <laughs> hell. So that's why, that's why I draw the line with, hey, do you know, it's not safe always letting people into your house. No. Especially because I've been watching loads of like mini series on, BBC and trauma and stuff like that. Have you seen trauma? It's so good. No, I haven't actually. Well, anyway, been... it's made me think don't let people into your house essentially. No, but that, that's the thing is that we use apps to just get everywhere or to book things. I'm so reliant on them. Yeah, it's if, crazy. If like phones no longer existed, what on earth would we do? Also, I'm deleting family contacts and pictures in order so I can get more space on my hard, on my phone. <laughs> well, if you feel like you're addicted to your phone, later on the show, we have Catherine Price, who is the author of How to Break Up With Your Phone. And she's written this book all about how to like have a healthy relationship with your phone and go through a phone detox. So maybe that's that's for you. We probably, we probably. Our, podcast, our producer is stroking his phone as we speak. I feel like we, we do. I feel like people are too reliant on the phones. Absolutely. It's ruined communication. Yeah. Also, do you know what? People making accounts 
for like weird shit really annoys me. So like, oh, like for their dogs, or for their babies. It's not, it's not right. Uh, Don't make an account for your baby. Yeah, I agree. No, this 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 um, girl from my old school actually. You know when they take babies and they dress them up. Yeah. You know, like in like costumes, as like a like a photo shoot. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, he he looked like Oliver Twist, (laughs) like a flat cap. Not a stone. Oh, like a tiny Oliver Twist. That's so cute. I just want to have a baby so I can get it a baby chino, to be honest. <laughs> so, also, big millennial thing, dating. Dating. We've got, we've got some fun stats. We'll have a fun stat. Yes. But do you know what? I don't know if this these stats have any... I don't. The thing is with, with stats that we get sent on these press releases, they've always just polled like 20 people in also, a room. Also, they just like polled like Sandra down in HR and like <laughs> Polly from admin. Like, I don't know if these stats actually have any... It's true, but this one's from Wonga the short-term oh. loan provider, classic, um, did a poll about um, being single and the price of being single. And on average, apparently single people spend £61 a month on dating. And the highest spend, which is really quite random, the highest spend on dating in the UK is in Southampton. Interesting. £88.60. Can I just say, though, going back to these 60... What is it? £61 a month. Yeah, so apparently that's things like... Um, grooming but and no, dates and so like if you food. go on a date though and like you know you go for a meal that's surely you spend like 60 quid on that meal that i mean yeah it's like are they just taking them to easy <laughs> <laughs> that's the average maybe in southampton that's what they're doing i don't know other stuff is interestingly they said that if you um book a five-day holiday they've picked um going to the grand canaria oh a seven-night a, holiday in grand a, canaria a popular choice with us brits apparently it's a hundred quid more if you're single like it works out a hundred quid more I don't know if I'd go to holiday on my own to Grand Canaria, to be honest. <laughs> to be honest, I wouldn't go with someone else. Especially not for seven days. No, what'd you do? And apparently, on average, those in a relationship spend around £133 a month on their... Oh, no, sorry, on their partner for special occasions, including birthdays, Christmas, anniversaries, and Valentine's Day. 133 seems quite low to me. Yeah. They're know. going to ZZ's as well. Actually, can we just like stop slagging off ZZ's because my, that's my mum's favourite restaurant. <laughs> okay. More like Nando's. And in, and I'm surprised that Southampton is more expensive for dating than London. Yeah, what are they doing in Southampton? Maybe they're like, maybe it's a bit like New York and Southampton, like they go on lots of dates. Yes. And also they've got, you know, the Titanic Museum, which I have actually been to. In Southampton. Yeah. So apparently on average we spend 700 quid a year on the date, on dating. I before. think that's absolute tough. I think it's too low. Massively. Like especially if you're going to fancy places. If you buy, okay, th- Riddle me this. Mm. You go to um, a really nice cocktail bar in London. Yeah. Right? You buy you and your date a drink. That's, what, 30 quid. I mean, let's say these cocktails are 15 quid. Well, what was that time you went to Mondrian and got an espresso martini? How much were they? Oh, they were 18 pounds. Oh, God, that's painful. Yeah. just not gone up here for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just put some coffee in a bit. Of yeah, 18 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, but clearly these people are not going to the Mondrian for drinks. They're, they're really not, but... I do think that's kind of low. Mm. You know, and the, and the likes this of is people, people are banging these dates on, all, you know, all the time. Where are they taking them? Spoons? <laughs> well, on the topic of dating apps, another fun load of stats for you, Happen, which is the dating app. You know more about this than I do, about Happen. Oh, um, no, I don't like Happen. It feels a bit creepy. It's like, ooh, So it's someone... like if you pass someone in the street yeah. and they're on Happen, then you'll match with them? Is that the idea? Yeah, and it's like, and then you can like, I think like, send them a love heart or something Ooh, woo so it's like if you go on the same train every day they'll be like you yeah, passed like, Paul oh, you... 37 yeah, yeah. at Milton Keynes <laughs> so they did some polls nothing and ever good has come a, out of Milton Keynes um, 
Oh God, these stats are horrific. 30% of single people in the UK admit that they don't know how to flirt. The most preferred style of flirting is to make their date laugh. Well, that's obvious. Um, half of men say... <laughs> Groundbreaking that, stuff happened. Groundbreaking. <laughs> nearly half of men say that they decide if they're interested in a date after just a few minutes compared to only 35% of men, women. That's because men are so shallow. Also... Like, oh, nice tits. This, this thing, on average, Brits spend 21 days talking to someone online before meeting them face to face. That is quite mental. No, I do I, buy, no, that's not true. So basically three weeks of chatting online before you meet up. I don't think that's... I No. Have you had Tinder dates where you've chatted them that day and met them that evening? Yes. Oh, my God. You're bringing this, you're bringing this stack crashing down. <laughs> they obviously did not poll Grimshaw. You changed the whole... You'd screw it all. But have those dates been successful? No. <laughs> um, three weeks does seem quite long. Yeah, I think there's... But the thing is, though, is, is I think, especially with London, like, you know, Londoners are busy. They don't have time. To 21 days. No. Yeah, and then seventy percent of singles admit to have le- having left a date early. Have you have you left a date early? Mm. I've done the kind of SOS. <laughs> I said I had to, to go. Yeah, I had to go home to tend to my diabetic cat. Oh my god! Big Sue's does not have diabetes. <laughs> she doesn't. Such She's a alive and well. <laughs> and she, I don't know if cats can even get diabetes, <laughs> but I said that I had to get home so I could leave early. She's a diabetic cat horrific yeah oh man okay if you're interested in doing some fun millennial dating in london a little bit of dating news for you in the capital yeah social social concierge run by the lovely nana it's sorry is speed dating still a thing can we just bring it like because i feel like speed dating in millennial like i actually did go to a speed dating event where i had to um make flat pack furniture no mm. that's a good idea though because that's quite a good test of relationship that's the many they... relationships have broke down over i thank you <laughs> and they said it was like match.com and they said that the biggest test of a relationship is when you buy flat pack furniture so i got given but it wasn't even simple it wasn't even like a cd rack <laughs> it was like a six-piece dining set like <laughs> like that's was actually hilarious yeah i think get a cactus my boyfriend and i have a cactus and keeping that Keeping Sunny no, Giles, alive. It's on my desk now because you're ditched Sunny. Well, keeping Sunny alive for the last two years has put many a strain in our relationship. But I do think that with maybe more dating events now, it's, it's doing. Yeah, doing things. Well, they're vaguely sexual. You mean doing things that aren't just doing? Yeah, I mean, like there's a there's a there's another element. It's not just moving around table every three minutes. So, social concierge, which is um, it's London and New York's private dating uh, dating events club, has partnered with Chappie app to launch Mister Social, and it's launching on Friday the second of March, and it's a brand new uh, parties for single professional gay men in their twenties and thirties. So cool idea. And that's, ooh. So basically, they say that this is part of a trend of offline and online dating brands. Like, so doing both uh, both offline stuff and online stuff. So Tinder, Bumble, The League, they've all started to do actual, like, events. Like, Bumble's big into events now. Also, Bumble's on a lot of side of buses. Their marketing budget must be... <laughs> If you want, if you want to come to these events, um, it's heymrsocial.com. So it's called Mr. Social. It's like very trendy, glass of Verve Clicquot, and there's a cocktail party, live jazz. Very cool. Oh, and look, as well as Chappie Corner for some curated speed dates. So there's your answer. Oh, there is still speed dates. Speed dating is still a thing. It's hard to get to know someone very quickly, though, isn't it? My brother actually just went on Tinder. 
okay. uh, the other day. He's bro- he I'm broke- glad he announced that to yeah. the world. He broke up from it. Well, his girlfriend broke up with him for 10 years. Uh, so he didn't know how to date. He's only 27. So he like, you know, been together since he was 17. He said, he said to, he texted me today. He said, the only person I've matched on Tinder, the only person I've swiped is the Domino's, the Domino's like advert. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's the way to go, James. They have adverts now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although this is quite high end, but the inner circle is a curated community of educated, lively singles, nearly a million members around the world and 50,000 members in London alone. So they do like one party a month and it's, they call it a novel dating party. So um, what's what's on this month? Um, so this month, well, they're coming up, they've got a great Gatsby one which is pretty cool. And they did one at the box in January. Have you ever been to the box? Uh, yeah, a, a woman um, took off her, her own tits with a an axe. It's, it's quite a script. But like she did, like, obviously, like, and then, yeah, it was it's quite a weird, weird. I shouldn't yeah. say tits, sorry, breasts. <laughs> I'm sure that's that much better, Deirdre. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the inner circle sounds quite cool. I suppose it's that curated, but, like... But it almost feels, a, it's quite highbrow. Yeah, but that's good because I suppose it, it's difficult to go to Disney Cuts events. the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, there's probably some sort of application process. Yeah, you know, like some... Dis- have you seen Married at First Sight? Yeah, you have to be... Everyone Everyone comes has to be approved by the inner circle dating app prior to the event. You can't just rock up and buy a ticket. Oh, you've been uh. told. <laughs> <laughs> in, um, in other non-dating news, what else is happening in London for millennials? Pies. It's Pie Week coming it's up. It's Pie Week on the 5th of March, and I... Okay. I love a pie, Giles, you know I do. What's your favourite kind of pie? Can I ask, when I, when I, when Giles said, we were talking about pies earlier, Giles was like, is um, crumble a pie? <sighs> but you can get a crumble pie. I don't think, no. Because no? a pie, no. Crumble's it, not a pie? Uh, okay, then um, apple and blackberry. That's a good, that's a classic With pie. With loads and loads of custard. Old school. Mm, that's a good pie. What's your favourite kind of pie? I do like like a chicken leek pancetta pie oh my god grimsby's gone posh <laughs> i've gone very much. but also what i like is the pie with sides <laughs> and i just want a top i want sides I of want pastry sides. as well give me some sides but um yes so so home and dining room they're doing the pie room um for 200 pies made daily people 200 wow that's pretty that's a, that's a lot of pies so they've got everything from pork pies to beef wellingtons pate en croute Pivier's bloody hell. Sweet pies, savoury pies, seasonal pies, pies. 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 Four creative pies. pies. Yeah, basically they've even got a pie to go stand. (laughs) That's in Hoban. That's, yeah, and executive head chef and pastry expert Callan Franklin is behind that. Honestly, if you haven't been to Hoban Dining Room for the pies, you're missing out. (laughs) So go next week. In other news that has absolutely nothing to do with pies, the royal wedding coming up in May and Mercure Hotels is offering a complimentary overnight stay to couples who share the names of the soon-to-be-wed couple. So that's Harry or Meghan. <laughs> and you also, have to send your ID. Yeah, you can't do a fast one. Yeah, you've got to email your ID. We'll put, um, in the show notes, we will put the email that you have to send to for any Harry and Megans out there. Yes. I think it'd be like com. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You should be head of marketing there. Brilliant. <laughs> really should. Um, Stayed in Mercure in Glasgow, actually. What an did, experience. Did you now? Yeah. Um, also, there's a vegan festival happening. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> great millennial news. Oh, millennial scared of milk now. Yeah, terrified of milk. Milk. So, seventeenth and eighteenth of March, Viva Vegan Festival. Obviously, it's held held at Shoreditch Town Hall. No surprises there. And there's going to be a wide range of fantastic stalls, world food caterers, cookery classes, 
inspirational talks and all the other adjectives amazing yeah pant plow forever that's gonna be people are gonna love that aren't they yes they are all the vegan delights so yeah go go get go get your vegan on that's a lot of that's a lot of millennial news my head is yeah it's too much but up next we've got author Catherine price with us this is the at the about time podcast and now a word from our sponsor this week's episode of The 80 is kindly sponsored by our very own lunchtime heroes, MealPal. For those that don't know, MealPal helps you get a tasty lunch from the very best restaurants in your city. Simply choose a meal plan that suits you, whether that's a 12-meal lunch plan for 4 a meal or a 20-meal lunch plan for 4 a meal, and be safe in the knowledge that you'll be getting a tasty meal every lunchtime. It couldn't be easier. Choose from 100 local restaurants offering meals every weekday. Skip the queue, eat, enjoy and repeat. You can enjoy everything from salads to poke, burgers and bowls for a price that cannot be beaten. We say download the MealPal app today or check out the MealPal website to mix up your lunchtime. As part of our special millennial episode where we're discussing all things to do with millennials and a new generation issues, we have Catherine Price on the show, our special guest of the week, who is the author of How to Break Up With Your Phone, which is out on the 13th of February. Very exciting. Just come out. And um, Catherine, hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about um, about the book? Sure. My book is called How to Break Up With Your Phone. Uh, it has a website called phonebreakup.com. And basically, it is a guide designed to teach us a bit about what our phones are doing to our brains how they're designed to keep us using them for as long as possible. And then it has a 30-day plan to help create a new relationship with your phone that keeps what you love about your phone and minimizes what you don't. So when you break up with your phone, you're not actually trying to dump your phone. Just as if you're breaking up with a person, you're not saying you're never going to date another human being again. The point is to create a new, healthier relationship with your phone. And so my hope is that when readers go through this book, they will come away with a healthier relationship and a life that is more meaningful to them that still incorporates their phone in the ways that they want it to. I absolutely love the idea of the book. I feel like it's such a problem of our generation of being addicted to our devices and kind of opening it first thing in the morning and scrolling on it in bed. I think not a lot of people have done anything about how to distance ourselves from our phones and disconnect from technology. Um, how, how did the idea come about for the book? The idea for the book came about really when I realized that my own relationship with my phone was questionable <laughs> and it was not bringing me very much joy. And basically, I just got into this habit of doing these searches on eBay uh, for random things that I had really no intention of buying, the most random of which was probably antique doorknobs. Um, <laughs> it's a long story. All the, all the doors in my house have doorknobs, but I would just spend all this time like looking through these listings and it, they never end. They would just go out. You'd be very surprised at how long you could spend doing this with one search. Um, and you know, and I realized at some point, wait a second, like, am I really spending my life just whittling away, you know, or wasting away moments doing things like this? And I realized that I, I didn't like the way that my phone was affecting the way I was living my life. And I took a step back and thought, Hmm, I think this is something I'd like to turn into a professional project because I am a science journalist by training and I've spent about 15 years writing about health related things and behavior change and mindfulness and all this stuff that I then put together as part of my research to try to figure out what was going on with my own mind from spending so much time on my phone. And then even more importantly, figure out what to actually do about it. Amazing. And um, for anyone who is looking to take a break from their phone, um, what what is one of the what what's the first steps let's say i would say one of the first steps if you're looking to take a break from your phone is to ask yourself why you want to take a break from your phone and that's a step we often 
overlook when we go to change behavior. We'll say things like, I just want to spend less time on my phone. But you need to ask yourself, well, why? What, what do you think your phone is doing to you? What about your relationship with your phone is making you feel bad? And then what would you like to have in its place? So the first thing I would say, yes, yeah, to think about that. And if you if you think, okay, well, I feel like my brain is foggy, or I feel like I can't concentrate, or I feel really disconnected from people, or I feel like social media makes me feel bad, and I'm spending a lot of time on it, and it's making me feel bad. These are all different reasons mm-hmm. uh, that a person might have. You might have more than one reason. Uh, but I think the first thing to do is to really try to figure out some of those reasons. I would also suggest getting a sense of how much you're actually on your phone by using a time tracking app. Uh, for example, there's one called Moment for um, Apple devices and another called Quality Time that works for Android. And that will basically calculate how much time you're actually spending on your phone each day and how many times you're picking it up and what apps you're spending the most time on. And that can be extremely eye-opening. Uh, Moment, for example, has about 5 million users and the average person on Moment spends four hours a day on their phone. Wow. And that is, yeah, it's a quarter of our waking lives. That's a long time. That's insane. But I, yeah, I can definitely see how if you start to record how much you're on it, it would be quite horrific, like quite horrifying how much time, you know, when you're commuting or you're just between but that's things. The thing, is when you look at, um, you know, with people on the tube now, everyone has just has their head buried in their phone. Yeah. Like how often do you see people reading a book? basically never yeah or interacting with each other you know even these like one thing i thought was really interesting uh, was the value of what are called fleeting relationships and that's basically these passing interactions you have with strangers that seem like they wouldn't matter at all like saying hello to the person who serves you coffee or um if you're taking a, a taxi, chatting with the driver, these things actually have a very strong psychological effect on us in terms of making us feel connected to other people and to the world around us. And uh, we really lose out on that and totally miss out on it when we just turn to our phones. I've heard from a lot of teachers who say things like, you know, formerly when students came in, you kind of have to get people to be quiet to start class because people would talk to each other, would be gossiping, catching up, whatever. And now the whole room is quiet because everyone just comes in is on their phone you know, communicating with people who aren't mm-hmm. actually in the room with them. And actually, I suppose that those interactions are important and we we don't have enough of them anymore because we're just buried in our phones. I would certainly say we're missing out on a lot because of that. You know, and you never know. I mean, you just never know if that's just going to be like a two second conversation that goes nowhere or if you're actually going to like meet someone you end up dating and marrying. I mean, you really can't tell. But if you don't have those interactions to begin with, you're never going to find out. Mm. And I just I think that, you know, and a lot of times it's not actually when we're on our phones in those moments we're actually just looking at stuff. So we actually aren't even interacting with people virtually. We're just kind of scrolling through stuff, maybe dealing with our social anxiety about being in a room full of other people and not really knowing what to say. Yeah. Um, it's like a, it's like really a crunch. Escaping. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Through, through the process of writing the book, you must've done a lot of research into how people are using their phones. Did you speak to a lot of people about their relationship with their phone? Well, I basically to, to, to write the book, it was a combination of scientific research in terms of like what we know about what the time we're this four hours a day that we're spending on our phones is doing to our brains. And then I also recruited the help of about 150 people who were, I called them guinea pigs to help me as I was developing the plan. So those people answered lots and lots of questions from me, surveys, uh, they tried out my ideas and they gave me feedback about their experiences trying these things out. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of feedback from those people. And I actually just started something really cool that I'm very excited about, which is that um, I created a accompaniment to the book. It's an online 30-day challenge that people can sign up for at phonebreakup.com. And what I realized I should do is to give people an assessment of where they are at the beginning Mm -hmm. and, and a chance to set some goals for themselves and to have those sent back to them. 
And then at the end of the breakup to do a similar survey with some of the same questions, but then also uh, asking people to kind of codify what they've learned over the past month and, and write down what habits they've started that they want to keep so that they both have a sense of progress and they also have kind of a guide to keep them on track going forward. So I'm very excited That's about very that. That's very cool, like taking kind of practical action to being addicted yeah. to our phones. We have a rule in the office about leaving it outside of the office door. So we put them in our bags, which have to be outside the door because we've just found even just knowing they're in a bag under the table in itself it just feels like a distraction even though you're not touching it um so we just put it like physically has to be outside the door and i think that's really helped that's helped us focus it's just i know it's close to check so i'm not i don't feel right. as focused right exactly and there are multiple studies showing that i mean even just having a phone on the table when you're having a conversation with a friend it will diminish both the quality of the, con- the conversation but it will also uh, diminish your ability to concentrate mm. on whatever is, is happening. Or if you're trying to do some cognitively demanding task, like, uh, you know, answering another email on your computer or solving a problem or writing something down, like you can, you will do a poor job at that task if the phone is even visible nearby, which is so weird, even if you're not, you know, interacting with it. But that's interesting. So you, was there a lot of pushback about well, that? Or did no, people to be honest, we're, we're funny because I think we're quite unusual for digital journalists in that we kind of hate technology. Like I think because uh-huh. because we're online all day long on social media professionally, you know, it's, it's our job. So we're on it all day long. The last thing I want to do well, like when I get home is be on my phone. I find it something that for me, just I'm associate work with my phone. So I'm actually pretty good with my phone. I think I'm better than most of my friends and that I, I won't get it out socially. I'll try and keep my bag as much as possible. I'll switch off on the weekends. I just feel really overwhelmed by by being connected so I've become really aware that it's just not something I want in my life and I think also at work we were just not doing tasks quite as well especially with like whatsapp and there's a lot going on it's so many distractions and when you're writing features all day it's it's not good to be kind of writing and then checking and then writing and then checking because the feature comes out badly so yeah we had to be a bit stricter mm-hmm, but yeah totally. I think uh, creating um creating space where like phones are part of it and then they're not so like at lunch we can take it out or we can read websites that are like a bit more fun and then you're having a designated time when it goes back in a bag is quite important for our concentration yeah I think you make a couple of really interesting and important points in that just from your own experience which is that um I think that there's our, I think of our phones as being these like Pandora's boxes of emotions right where you where you open it up to check and you think it's kind of innocent, but all you're going to have an emotional reaction to something on the phone because they're designed to have emotional mm. triggers, whether it's something that's happy or exciting or stressful or sad or whatever. It's going to be something there. And I think that it's really important for us to start to tune in to how we actually feel when we're on our phones physically and emotionally, which sounds like is exactly yeah. what you're talking about, that you've recognized that this makes you feel anxious and like you're at work, so you don't want to have it. I think a lot of people haven't really, and I hadn't myself before writing this book, really thought about that mm. critically, you know, to be like... I'm doing this so compulsively. What is it actually making me feel? Am I feeling happy when I'm on it? Uh, you know, and, and the answer was no. It was normally I'm feeling kind of vaguely stressed without really having any particular goal that I think I could achieve to make myself yeah. less stressed. Um, and I also think the you know when you're talking about like creating these different zones for the phone, I think is so important because I think an, another thing we haven't done since these the phones have come into our lives so quickly over the past 10 years, we haven't set boundaries for them and or social etiquette, rules yeah. of etiquette in the way that we have for other things. And that really, I mean, I've found that it's creating a physical space where my phone, quote unquote, goes to bed at night 
or, um, you know, setting it in a particular place and having these kind of rituals where, where it's, it's out of bounds, you know, for it's extremely helpful in terms of my own mental state and also um, not compulsively reaching Definitely. And phone. especially it's, with personal, with personal relationships, like if you live with your partner and you come home and you're on your phone all night or you're on a laptop all night, it, you, I think your quality of time, like I feel like we, it feels like we haven't seen each other because we've kind of been one eye on something else. But also I feel like, we have a rule in our flat where we don't have phones at the dinner table. Mm. I find it really annoying when people are on their phones at the dinner table. Yeah, I agree. It just, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're in the moment. So we do airplane mode, um, like sporadically hmm. throughout the week where we'll, we'll go airplane mode. So we'll just put it on airplane mode. And then that way you have a phone if you like desperately need it, but it's not, it's not buzzing with notifications. And that's, like, I think that's a, sometimes a good compromise. How did that come about? Was this just kind of an organic thing that was decided? <laughs> in a massive fight, massive Barney. It's the best, it's the way that the best things come about. We had a huge fight because we'd spent the weekend with each other and I had a massive strop about him doing like an hour's work. And he said, well, why, why are you having a fight? Why are you getting stroppy about this? We spent all weekend together. And it's because I realized that we spent a weekend together, but I actually hadn't felt like we'd had quality time. I didn't feel more connected having spent the weekend together. And it's because we spent a lot of time on our phones, in WhatsApp chats, making plans for the following week so after after we had that fight he stormed out he left me in a cafe and it was really awkward and also ironically i didn't have my phone on me so i didn't know where i'd gone oh, that's so funny. i didn't know where he'd gone so i just oh had to wait God. like a like a loser till he came back so he calmed down and he came back and he said what's the matter and we realized that had been it so after that we implemented airplane mode which is just when and it's also it's become like a a bit of a like buzzword for when i feel like i need some space where we're actually connecting so like i need a bit of airplane time and it's um yeah it's a, it's, it's quite oh nice, but it's a good way of bringing bringing it back to you know like we we you know we fell in love because we like to talk and then after a while you sort of forget that and you just you're just being in each right. other's presence but not talking That's totally and yeah that, that, that <laughs> reminds me of another thing that totally resonates with me because it's the idea of like the difference between time and attention which is exactly what you're saying it's you can spend time with someone and be completely non-present and actually not have a very satisfying interaction at all because you're both somewhere else like what you really need to do is have time and attention and i think that's i mean that's so i mean it's very funny that you guys yeah, like and it's, out and then, <laughs> it resulted in like enlightenment but i love exactly. that you know something i think that is quite interesting is that i'm jewish and we um we I grew up in a jewish household and my boyfriend is shomi shabbat so he keeps shabbat so every um every week we would have 24 hours that were designated which was completely tech free and I think it's interesting because I think I'm easy, I'm much better with um, with disconnecting because I already know the benefits of it because we kind of grew up in that way where we'd have 24 hours that were just designed for reading, relaxing, talking, like food, going for walks, and you just couldn't no electricity, nothing like that. So no switching things on. Um, so you know, like you don't need to preach to me about the benefits of it because I really love it. But I kind of wish when people say like, "Oh, Shabbat, that must be so hard." I wish people had done it because it's such a it's such a really good reminder of what it was like before we had tech. Right, and it's also yeah, it's interesting because um, that was one of the things that my husband and I started doing when I was first. Uh, working on this project and we were just talking more about the issue of phones and our own relationships with them. We said, well, you know, we, maybe we should try to do a, a Sabbath, a digital Sabbath, like, and actually just turn off our phones for 24 hours, just as you're saying, and, mm-hmm. and not be with screens. And so we did that. We actually lit a candle on Friday at night at around five and we put our phones, we turned them totally off and we, you know, didn't go on our computers and basically mm-hmm. avoided technology. And that was the first time that I personally had done that, even though I don't, I don't think that I was a complete phone addict, but I used it way more than I realized. And it was a very eye-opening experience that I definitely recommend that people try and that, that we're, we're trying to continue to do for us as well. Because like you're saying, it's just such an interesting experience 
to have that time to do these other things and to really connect and to start to recognize how much we our default is to just turn yeah, the distractions. Absolutely. Um, I, I found it to be a really like powerful experience that, I mean, I, and I think what you're saying also is that it seems kind of strange that something like turning off a device could have a, a bigger impact philosophically and just a, on your life in general, but that the practice of, of, taking a Sabbath yeah, kind of Shabbat, being forced like really into it makes you makes, makes you really appreciate it and it doesn't feel like something that's a chore or a burden it's something that I've like learned to love um because of the, the benefits mm-hmm. of it right exactly I think that also is touches upon something I think a lot of people a lot of people tend to think about oh I, it's like a punitive thing I need to spend less time on my phone and it feels almost like a diet and instead like you're saying it's really more about you know you're spending mm. more time on your life you're giving yourself an opportunity to turn away from some of these distractions and really focus on the things that, that bring you meaning. And that's actually not punitive at all. That's Absolutely. a reward to yourself. Um, what would you define as a healthy phone relationship? Do you think we can ever have a healthy relationship with our phone? I would define a healthy phone relationship as a very personal thing, just as my perfect human relationship would be different from your perfect human relationship. And I definitely think it's achievable. I think that it's never going to be perfect, though, just as your relationship with any person is probably never going to be 100% perfect. And if it is, it's going to change and not be perfect (laughs) because everything changes. So I think it really is a it's a practice almost of um, of really paying attention. You have to pay attention to the relationship in order to keep it healthy. But it's definitely achievable. And I think everyone should be empowered to make changes because you really can um, you can take back control of your life from your phone without yeah. getting rid of your phone. Fantastic. And it's a positive message that we're, there's some hope for us yet. I do worry, you know, when you see, because we, we, you know, oh, we grew up in a, uh, in a world that Instagram wasn't readily available. And I, yeah. I do get worried when you see the people that are growing up with this stuff as norm and, and how the, because of the effects on mental health and, and well-being and confidence, like it does scare me a bit. It definitely scares me too. Um, I have a daughter, a young daughter and, you know, she's too young. I mean, right now I can completely control yeah. her access to media, but that won't always be the case. And I think that, I mean, for me, what brings me hope is the idea that people will start talking more about this. I think that one of the issues so far is again, like this stuff has happened so quickly that we as a society haven't really stopped to question what impact all of these various aspects of our phones are having on our lives and our mental health. And once you start to talk more and say, Hey, guess what? Instagram photos are Photoshopped. No one's posting photos of themselves, like sitting at their desk bored on a Monday morning when they're exhausted, you know, like eating junk food or something. You're, everyone's on vacation. Everyone's got perfect skin. Like mm. It's not real. And if you start again, to go back to the point we were talking about before to tune into how you actually feel when you look at this stuff and you realize, oh, it's making me feel bad about myself because I'm comparing myself to the supposedly perfect life of these strangers. Well, then that can be kind of a prompt to make you want to spend less time on it. But also if you start to recognize that those apps, uh, social media apps in particular are designed to pull us in and to make us want to spend, not even want, just spend time on them. The reason being that they make their money off of advertisements. And the more people look at the ads, the more money these companies make. So when you think about it that way, we are actually not the customers for these social media apps. That's why they're free. Like if something's Mm. free, you're probably not the customer, right? You're the product that's being sold to advertisers. And that is why the apps are designed with elements that make it very easy to lose yourself in them. So for example, social media apps, the feeds are endless. You could just keep going through those Instagram photos, never reach the end of the feed. That could easily be designed a different way, the same way that Google search results are designed, where you have to click to get to the next page of results. Or you could have a thing that the app would ask you, how much time do you want to spend looking at, you know, 
puppy photos on Instagram, you could say, I don't know, about 15 minutes. And then after 15 minutes, it would like remind you of your intention and ask if you want to continue. But those things are called stopping cues, which are basically something that makes you, forces you to pause and take action in order to continue. And stopping cues are very effective ways to get people to not continue. (laughs) And that's why social media apps don't have them. You know, I, I like to compare it to binge eating ice cream. If you eat a pint of ice cream, eventually your spoon's going to reach the bottom and you're going to touch that the cardboard and realize what you've done. And then you could continue to eat ice cream, but you'd have to go get another container. The stopping cue is your spoon hitting the yeah. bottom and maybe you're feeling of remorse at what you've consumed, no. but you don't have that on social media. And once you start to notice these things built into your phones, for me at least, I started to recognize the incentives of the apps are not the same as the incentives and the motivations of my own life. And I don't want to just give them my attention. because It's that's like when you've been binging on a Netflix series and it gets to that point where it's like, are you still watching? Because it just, you know, when you've been watching a series and it automatically, and I'm like, oh God, mm-hmm. that's so embarrassing. I've watched like seven episodes of Friends in a row and they're like, they think I've just, I'm not here anymore. Yeah. Well, that's exactly why those is designed to start automatically. You know, like I, I, when I watch things and it's like <laughs> the next episode will start in five, four, three. I'm like, I haven't even emotionally dealt with whatever the last thing so I saw addictive. was. And then autumn, and then it starts watching. That's exactly that. It's to build it without a stopping cue. You don't have to press play again to see that next episode. It's just going to keep going. And that's not for your, they're not trying to like help you make the best use of your afternoon. They want you to just keep watching the show. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. If people thank want to you. find out more about the book and about you, where can they, where can they find you? Uh, they can go to phonebreakup.com and they'll find all sorts of resources, including this 30 day challenge you can sign up for. And there's also things like free lock screen downloads or, or images you can put on your lock screen for your phone that say things like, do you really want to pick me up right now? Or what do you want to pay attention to? And those are my attempts to provide people with a little stopping cue. I call them speed bumps that you can give yourself so that when you go to check your phone totally on autopilot and don't recognize what you're doing, you'll have something that will kind of like jolt you out of your autopilot mode and um, give you a chance to decide whether you not want to that's continue. That's right. I did. So that's I all presume, phone breakup. Are you, are you on social media? <laughs> um, barely. I'm on Twitter. So you can look for Catherine Price with a C. And actually I am doing a phone awareness month where I'm trying to provide people with uh, prompts or exercises or um, questions or giveaways, things like that, to just raise awareness of the issue of our relationships with our phones and hopefully spark conversations so that we all can create Lovely more mindful stuff. relationships so with our devices. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you very much. This is the AT, the About Time podcast. Here's this week's News in Brief. A little bit of a push for our own festival. We're halfway through our About Tomorrow festival. And if you're looking to get press coverage for your company or want to learn how to pitch publications better, come along to our PR pitching masterclass at Work Life Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell? on Thursday the 1st of March for all the hints and tips. Um, to buy tickets, just go onto our website, www.abouttimemagazine.co.uk. Uh, Roundhouse Rising Festival is back at the Roundhouse Camden and it's running to the 4th of March. The festival unites breakthrough talent with globally acclaimed artists. And on the 28th of February, um, BBC Music Introducing presents a night of emerging talent from the urban music world. It's created by DJ Target and with all the highlights broadcast on One Extra. Go to the Roundhouse Camden website to um, apply for tickets. It's free. And finally, back for its fourth year, House of Holly makes its return to Cinnamon Kitchen in Devonshire Square from Monday the 26th of February to Saturday the 10th of March. Um, Just leave the drab and dreary city at the door. Don your 
don your protective white suit and step into the madness at the House of Holy for 30 minutes of paint-pelting friends, family and colleagues to mark the renowned Indian Festival of Colour. And this here's this week's News in Brief. And now for our favourite slot on the show, reviews. Love a review. So this is where we talk about restaurants. Yes, where have you been dining this week, Giles? Oh, so I'm really classic because we've been doing lots of events around North London and I live in North London. I've just been going out for dinner in Primrose Hill a lot, to be honest. So both the places that I'm talking about today are in Primrose Hill. Hey-ho. Um, Oka, just great Japanese restaurant. I've mentioned it before. They have one in Kingley Court, which I've been to, but it's just never, it never measures up to the one in Primrose Hill. I love, I love the original one. Um, it's really good. It's small. It's hard to get a table because there's only like nine or ten tables wow um so it's hard to get a table especially towards the end of the week um but if you ring ahead you can you can book in i really like it it's really good sushi i think it's like my upper limit for creativity when it comes to sushi i kind of like sushi to be pretty simple and quite authentic so like not too much like mayonnaise and not too crazy like nothing kind of deep fried and okra is like a bit creative and playful but it's not too far yeah so they do have like mayonnaise in some of them and they have like tempura in some of the sushis but it's not it's not too far like i draw the line at hot sushi that's what in israel they love hot sushi in israel they love doing hot sushi they kind of deep fry a roll it's like yeah what like a tempura sort of yeah so they'll make a sushi roll and then i'll put it in breadcrumbs and deep fry it is it nice uh it sort of tastes like chicken like friday night chicken dinner in sushi it's a bit too creative okay yeah I'm <laughs> so it. my favorite dishes if you go to Oka, they do a jalapeno salmon roll which is so good so it's inside out roll salmon spring onion spices avocado and cucumber and then it's just rolled in tempura crumbs with a bit of citrus mayo so a little bit a little bit creative but really really tasty really tasty and also a very good spicy tuna roll and a nice salmon avocado roll. Do they do any um, goysers? Goysers? They... <laughs> goysers. They do some goysers. Goysers. Um, I think they do. But I find, I often find with sushi and Japanese restaurants, just like go go in for the kill, like go in for the sushi rolls. I always find the starters are a bit like, meh. And the hot food, for me, I never want it once I've had yeah. sushi. So actually that udon noodle soup is amazing and their miso soup's really good. But um, I think the sushi is where it's at, personally. What I would say about Oko, which I think is really nice, is that Japanese desserts by the large are quite rubbish. Like, I've never had a Japanese dessert. They're not known for their desserts. No, I've never had a Japanese dessert that I'm really excited about eating. Like, you get, like, matcha ice cream or you get mochi, but they're not... Do you remember we got served that really awful ice cream once? Matcha ice cream, it's just a bit like fish pond. Yeah. Um, so I'm never excited about it. And what I like about Oka is that they've just forgotten the whole Japanese desserts thing and they do an amazing hot cookie dough with coconut ice cream. So, like, absolutely nothing Japanese about it at all. But like, just really good. Like people mm. go there just for the cookie dough. It's like served warm in like a little skillet pan and it's all melty and cookie dough. Do you know, we do this slot really late in the evening when we have that dinner and it makes me so hungry. Yeah. I'm, but I'm yeah. just thinking about my dinner. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but um, I'd recommend that in Oka. It's very good. And where else have you been in Primrose Hill? Jay's opposite Oka. Classic. I I've never, Jay's is like, it's, do you know what? It's the kind of place where you can always get a table. It's not known for its atmosphere. Like it's not the trendiest spot in town. Um, but actually the food is really good, like really good homemade pasta and like a nice atmosphere enough. And it's the kind of place that if you're just really hungry and you can't be able to like wait out in the cold or queue for like Dishoom or Grain Junko, like it's, it's a good spot and it's nice yeah. to go with your mum. Like I went with my mum, we had some pasta. It was really good. So I had the fresh pasta with aubergine cherry tomatoes smoked mozzarella and spicy tomato sauce simple fresh 11 quid just like reasonably priced and very tasty 
That's my soundbite on Jay's in Primrose Hill. I'd so worth worth trekking up to Primrose Hill for? Absolutely. If you're there on a Sunday, I'd recommend Jay's. They also do a set lunch menu, which is quite reasonable and tasty. Where have you been, Alicia? Um, I actually went to Duck and Waffle Local. Really? Yeah. So, Where's, so what's the concept behind Duck and Waffle Local? Where is it? So Duck and Waffle Local is just off Piccadilly Circus. And they've kind of taken, you know, because obviously Duck and Waffle, it's quite... Iconic, trendy. Yeah, you know. Bit shishi. <laughs> <laughs> 50 you know however many floors up and they they brought that same concept but ground level and kind of stripped it back slightly mm. um does it work mm. <laughs> uh, um because yes. i think part of the glamour of duck and waffle is that it's in the heron tower and it's yeah and i feel i know and i can see what they're trying to do here they're trying to appeal to a more wider market and i i guess make it more accessible I think. Mm. However, if you're paying £12 just for a duck burger, I don't know how accessible that really is. They've taken a lot of dishes. So, you know, the iconic um, duck and waffle is on the menu. Um, the ravioli, that we, the pumpkin ravioli that we had. Wouldn't really ha- it was on the brunch menu. Wouldn't, didn't feel... Yeah, it's like, brunchy. Yeah. And they obviously have the, the amazing um, bacon wrap dates. Um, and there are some really good dishes, but it's... it's you pay for it. mm you pay for it. And, and while, you know, my duck burger was very nice, you know, with duck burger, and then I had to order a, a size of chips. That's like, that's not that big. That's, that's 16 quid, well, you know. Yeah, I think they've taken the word accessible slightly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. I felt, I really liked Second Wolf when we went. It's a very glamorous experience, yeah. but I found it was really buttery. Like, I felt quite sick after the meal because it's all quite heavy on the butter. The thing with duck and waffle, duck and waffle's menu is that it's, it pairs sweet and savoury quite a lot. Mm. So, you know, you have like duck in a donut and you have... Like bacon and dates. Yeah. yeah and it's a very sweet and savoury like explosion. Which can be quite actually, rich. Yeah. And and do you know what? My friend had a, a salmon dish that was actually really nice and, and actually very fresh. And, you know, the ingredients are really, really good and you, you can taste them. But if you're looking to just go for like a quick brunch with your mates... And you don't really want to like spend a lot. It's probably not. Probably not. I think the f- the food's there, and they can see what they're trying to do with it. I'd I'd, I'd like to go back and experience the. the is it a, is it a permanent site or is it a pop up? No, it's permanent. Really? It's quite weird. I mean, you know, obviously, Rich Woods does the cocktails in Duck and Waffle, and he's brought kind of his cocktails down to Duck and Waffle local. But there, it's kind of like cocktails on tap, which is Ooh, quite cool. That's fun, like bottled. Yeah, so you can get a draft of so like i feel like it's like a one-time experience but maybe not somewhere you'll go back to yeah and i think that um maybe more of a like uh special occasions yes okay. we, was my du- yeah my duck burger was nice but came at a price angelica <laughs> noted <laughs> came at a price but the coffee was nice and the staff are actually really really nice Shout out to Duck and Waffle. <laughs> Local. Um, thank you guys for joining us on this special millennial episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Sorry that we said the word millennial so many times. <laughs> um, if you'd like to find out more about the show, you can follow us. At the underscore AT show. And we will be back next Monday with a new episode. See you then. You've been listening to the AT the best things to do in london and beyond visit abouttimemagazine.co.uk or follow us at about time mag
This has been a Candy Store production for About Time magazine, hosted by Angelica Malin and Alicia Grimshaw, and produced by Van Connor. Spirit Body by Ketzer appears under Creative Commons 3.0. Visit KetzerMusic.com for more, with recording facilities in partnership with Jova London. Head to JovaLondon.com for more information.